morning. Super great to see you here at worship this morning here at First Christian Church. My name is Scott. I'm a pastor here at First Christian. Uh, we are super glad you're here today, especially if you're uh, a first-timer, um, second-timer, third-timer. If you're like fourth and on, eh. No, I'm kidding. We're glad you're here if this is your thousandth time. Um, I want to make sure you have a Bible handy. Luke 10 is where we'll be today. Um, Bibles are coming down the aisles there if you need one. Also, this is week one of four in How to Neighbor, so you may want to have a study guide available for that. Study guides are in the hands of those who are walking down there. By the way, if you need a Bible, Sophie, just come get this and give me that little remote right there. If you need a Bible, take it, put your name on it. It's yours, steal it. The pastor said it was okay. I use that joke every week. Like nobody, nobody laughs other than a few new people are like, it's mildly funny. We're going to spend um, our time today in Luke 10. And we're going to read that together in just a second, verses 25 through 37. This is week one of four in a series we're calling How to Neighbor. You can see the neighborly stuff here. Pictures of our people there. This series is about us becoming a church and a people uh, that are for our community. Um, A lot of times, you know, Christians get this sort of rap for being against everything, and there's plenty to be against. It's called sin. So there's a lot of that, obviously. But we want to be for our community. And so we want to talk about racism today and how we can be a part of the solution uh, for God's work in the world to bring people together for the sake of what he's doing. Now, Luke 10 is where we're going to do that. So let's go ahead and read that right now together. Verses 25 through 37. And then we'll pray and get into the text. Luke 10 says this, Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, meaning the lawyer, verse 29, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samar- So likewise a Levite, sorry, verse 32. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Jesus asked the lawyer, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Let's pray, friends.
Father in heaven, instruct us from your word. Today we submit ourselves anew to your authority in our lives. We bow the knee afresh to your holy word that instructs us, that tells us who we are, that gives us life. Father, we ask that that would be what happens today as you speak to us, that you would give us life, that you would continue to to regenerate us, to, to remake us after your image, to correct all the various ways that our idolatry has made an image of ourselves. So, Father, teach us so that we would love others, that we would love our neighbor in a way that mirrors what you have done for us, the way that you love us. Make of us a people, a congregation, where people look at us and they say, the world can't make that happen. And you receive glory. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Now, two pieces of background info before we jump into verse 25. Two pieces of background info that are helpful, helpful for us to know about. Number one, Jesus has just been having this sort of private conversation uh, with his group of disciples. You've got the 12, you've got the 70 or 72, we're not sure which. Uh, Luke says 72, and then you've got the 120. So this is that middle group of 72, according to Luke. Uh, Jesus is having sort of this private conversation with just them. And, and then the second thing that's important to know is that he has just been saying in the previous verses before verse 25 here, he has just been saying, Lord, I give you praise. He's saying this to God the Father. I give you praise for hiding the secrets of the kingdom from the wise and the learned. He says, Privately in a conversation with his disciples, they're teaching, they're processing things. Um, He's talking with them, private conversation. And then he also says, uh, I give you praise, Father, for revealing these things to children, to the innocent of heart, and for sort of keeping them from the wise and the learned of the world. So with those two things in mind, boom, verse 25 happens. Look at this. Interruption by a smart guy. It says, behold, Luke is telling us this, uh, behold, a tip-off word for like, hey, check this out. Wouldn't you know it? A lawyer stood up to put him to the test. Now, a lawyer here is another word for scribe. Probably seen that word if you know much about the New Testament. Scribe, lawyer, same thing. Smart guy knows the Old Testament law. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, Jesus, to the test, saying, verse 25, Teacher or rabbi, it's a form of respect. It's saying, Jesus, you're an expert teacher as well. So teacher, then he asked this, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this exact question was often used to challenge a rabbi or a teacher of the law kind of see where they were to test out their ideas, kind of feel them out and see where they stood, okay? Like, where are you coming from, Jesus? Tell me. So I'll ask this question. And so the exact form of this question is asked. But you'll notice uh, Luke sort of tips this off. He smells a little something fishy, and so does Jesus. Look at verse 26. He said to him, Jesus, to the lawyer, what is written in the law? How do you read it? 
he says. How do you read it? So the lawyer asks, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, what's written in the law, lawyer? (laughs) Like, how do you read it? Notice here, it's a little silly to say, but I feel like saying it. Jesus is a genius. This is a genius move by Jesus. Uh, Notice that Jesus draws the man further into his own question, invites him even further into discussion by saying, so, Mr. Question Asker, what do you think, Mr. Expert in the Law? You must know. Now notice that he came testing Jesus, but now Jesus is testing him. (laughs) He's testing the test. Tester. Okay. He's basically saying, do you, do you really want to know? Do you really want to know what you must do to inherit eternal life, lawyer? If so, how do you read the law? Look at his answer. Verse 27. This is the right answer. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your strength, with all your mind. I said five things, therefore there are a couple ways to say a couple of those. But that's the gist. Love the Lord with all of your being, heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then the second thing, love your neighbor as yourself. And look at what Jesus says. He says, good job. You're right. You have answered correctly. But then he adds this. Notice this. He says, do this and you will live. What must I do to inherit eternal life? You must do The summary of the law and the prophets that you have just named, lawyer. Love God, love people. That's the way that they summarized the law and the prophets. And Jesus acknowledges here, yes, lawyer, you're right. Deuteronomy 6, Leviticus 19, you have put those together. Love the Lord your God with all of your being, heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love people. The question is, do you do this? Notice what Jesus is really saying here. You are technically correct, lawyer. (laughs) You know this. The question is, do you actually do this? Do you live this way in a way that proves your knowledge isn't just that? So are you in practice loving God with all your being and your neighbor as yourself? Notice that Jesus doesn't say, Walk around with Deuteronomy 6, 5 and Leviticus 19, 18 on a T-shirt. Make sure you post it on your Facebook posts and feeds, social media. If you do those things and prove the point that you're right and you know things, you will live. He doesn't say debate this on Fox News or make sure that your opinion, your heritage, your background, your political views, that those are correct to prove everybody else is wrong and then you will live. He says, do this love God and love people thing and you will live. Love God with all your being. Love your neighbor as yourself and you will live. So at this point, the lawyer is following. He, he gets it. He understands. And he asks the same kind of question that we all ask. In these kinds of circumstances, the fishy part sort of comes out. John was tipping us off to it. It becomes explicit here in verse 29. Look at this. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself. Luke gives us some insight into his motivations here. He, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, he asked this question, (laughs) but who, who is my neighbor? He's hoping Jesus is going to say something You know, like we all say, like, your neighbor is like your your people. 
you got to care for your own, right? Like we all say that. Kind of, we got to care for our own. Like my people, my tribe, the people around me. He's hoping that, that Jesus will say, well, your neighbor, duh, is like the people you live next to, the cross the street. You went to school with them, your father, your mother, your sister, your brother, your cousin. And, of course, for these people here in this context, fellow Jews, I mean, duh, they're the chosen people of God. These are your neighbors. That's what the lawyer's hoping Jesus is going to say. So the lawyer can say, check. I love those people. I love those people. I went to school with them. He cuts my yard if I'm on vacation. Like our kids play together. They're my people. I know them. But notice notice the question that the lawyer asked. So, so Jesus, who is my neighbor? There is an obvious underpinning and implication that there are people who do and do not qualify. And he's hoping Jesus will make clear those who do and who don't qualify so he can say, yep, got it, check. I love my people. I'm all about taking care of my neighbors. And so I can also know precisely where to draw the line so that I can justify myself. Now, now lest we just think the lawyer is the bad guy here, this is the same exact kind of question we ask ourselves, whether we name it or we don't. The same exact kind of question we ask. We want to know how little we can get away with and and still be right or justified, right? Like, how much doing is exactly enough doing, Jesus? Please tell me so I can know. Because Because if what I do in terms of how I love God and love my neighbor, if what I do, which frames the whole story in verses 25, 28, and 37... If what I do demonstrates whether I really love God or, or people, if that's going to cost me more than I'm used to, more than I like, more than I was raised, I'm not sure I really want to know the answer to what must I do to have eternal life. Because I'd really rather focus on getting mine in the here and now. I mean, you feel me, Jesus? I mean, that's just that's where I'm coming from. So Jesus answers this concern of the lawyer with the familiar parable of the Good Samaritan. If you've been going to church any more than a few years, or you went as a kid, you probably recognize this in some form or fashion. And while this story that Jesus uses as the answer is a a made-up story, it's a parable, notice that the details are pretty true to life. Pretty true to life. Look at verse 30. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now press pause. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho is a long road. It's 17 miles. It descends 3,600 feet. It was well known as a pretty dangerous road. Like you don't just go on the Jerusalem road. I'm sorry, the Jericho road down uh, or Jerusalem up by yourself, right? Like that first strike on the guy in the parable. I mean, everybody just knew. You don't travel Blue Springs Highway in Mossheim at night, all right? Or, I don't know, Kingsport Highway over by Graysburg at night. And if you want to get hit, sure. You just kind of know, though, you don't do that. Like, people knew. So it's a dangerous road. 
And so all the people listening to Jesus go, ah, a man going down a dangerous road fell among some robbers, verse 30, who stripped him and beat him and departed. They took off, leaving him, it says, half dead. The clear implication here is that this guy's going to die. This guy's going to die if nobody comes along and helps him, okay? So on the way to Jericho, beaten, robbed, left for dead, says this. Three people come by. Verse 31. Now, by chance, a priest was going down the road. Now, if I'm a Jew and I'm hearing this, for the first time I go, ah, yes, good. Help has arrived. The priest is coming by. And so I hear, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other way. What, Jesus? So likewise, a Levite, not just a priest, but also a Levite. A Levite worked in the temple with the priests. And so they have important jobs. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. We're 0 for 2 so far. So people listening are going, wait, wait, wait. So neither a priest nor a Levite stopped to help this man, beaten and left for dead. What's going on, Jesus? Like, what's wrong with this picture, Jesus? Now, if I'm a relatively well-informed Jew in that day, or even someone who's not a Jew who knew the culture, I would know full well that someone coming from Jerusalem on that road who's a priest or a Levite holds an important job. So if I'm listening to Jesus and I'm asking this question about what's going on here, what are the details, Jesus? I go, ah, I get it. I get it. They're probably on their way back from their temple duties. Uh, And to be fair, they have pretty important jobs. And and if they come along and they touch this man, because there are laws and rules against this, it would have meant that they would become defiled, that they would become ritually unclean. And so then they would have to go back to the temple. Uh, They would have to be ritually clean again, which is a seven-day process. They would have to buy an animal, sacrifice it, stay there, pay money for this animal. It would have been a serious sacrifice of time and effort and money for these first two guys uh, to help. So, so I think I get it, Jesus. Like, I mean, if you think about it, really, I mean, did this guy even deserve help? I mean, people seem to be getting themselves into these kinds of circumstances like on their own a lot, at least from my experience. I mean, I don't know about you, but that's kind of what I see a lot. I mean, he's traveling down this road on the Jericho Road. Nobody travels that by themselves. Probably got himself into this mess. Probably got himself into this mess. He probably doesn't even deserve it in the first place. Probably doesn't deserve the help that's coming from an unlikely source. <laughs> chosen intentionally by Jesus. Look at verse 33. But a Samaritan. But a Samaritan. Press pause. This is the real scandal of the story here. The audience listening to Jesus would have expected the priest, would have expected the Levite to come and help this half-dead man, but not a Samaritan. Samaritans were hated by the Jews. There was a bitter history between those two people groups. Samaritans wouldn't be the ones, at least in their minds, those listening to Jesus tell the story. They wouldn't be the ones who would be helping. They would have been the robbers in the first place. Like, maybe you forgot that part, Jesus. (laughs) Maybe you forgot to add that detail. The part where you point out that it's Samaritan on Samaritan violence, it's the real problem. How about that? Did you forget that, Jesus? 
No, he hasn't forgotten any detail. In fact, Jesus has very obviously and very intentionally contrasted these two main people groups in his story. The Jewish priest and Levite respected, perceived as good and holy. And this lowly Samaritan hated and perceived as bad and to be avoided. I mean, let's be real. The Jews were the chosen ones. They perceived themselves as the only pure descendants of Abraham. And they perceived Samaritans as half-breeds because they intermarried with non-Jews. So, Jesus is not accidentally setting up these two. (laughs) And he finishes the story this way. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had, differentiating factor here, compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Apparently the Samaritan doesn't care whether the the person who's left her half dead got themselves into it in the first place. The idea was the compassion of God to have mercy on this person who needed it that motivated the action, regardless of the information behind how he got there. Now, two denarii would have probably paid for a few weeks of food and lodging uh, for this man to to rest and to heal, which this Samaritan man paid from his own pocket. So, look at this moment of truth. Jesus asks the lawyer, after having told this parable, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Verse 30. 37. He said, correctly, the lawyer, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Friends, it is all too easy. It is all too easy to turn our heads and pass by the problems in our community and the struggles others go through. As if that absolves us of responsibility to love in action. Listen, if, if, there's, if there's something you don't understand yet about the command to love one's neighbor that extends beyond racial and ethnic boundaries, then there's something you don't yet understand about the nature of God's love for you in the first place. Because the reality is that in Jesus, God's love extended the boundaries of sin that our rebellion created. And there's a direct connection Jesus says here, between your love of neighbor, who is anyone, and your understanding of God's love for you. Now, let's meddle. Friends, for the last few weeks in our country, every time you turn on the TV or you click on a news feed... (laughs) There's something flaring up about how messed up the world is, how divided we are, how disunified we are, how racist we are. And and listen, frankly, very much of that is true, of course. And let me say very clearly, any of that being true is 
too much of it being true? Are we preaching it? Martin Luther King Jr. Injustice anywhere is a threat to, threat to justice everywhere. And so we will not in this place for a second dismiss the reality of racism and white supremacy or any ethnic supremacy nonsense. That is all wrong. It is all sin. Ethnic supremacy or prejudice is wrong in any form directed at any group of people. (laughs) But what we know here in the kingdom of God where we understand how reconciliation actually works and what reconciliation actually is, what we know from the cross is that the only way to bring about actual reconciliation between any party who has been at enmity, the only way is a reconciliation with God. Because racism is that matter at root a matter of a messed up heart that chooses sin and self. And only God can fix that problem. Which means for us here at this church, our vision on the ground for racial reconciliation is God's vision for the gospel in the world. Helping people find and follow Jesus is the highest form of social justice. While the nations out there rage, while everybody in media world freaks out, (laughs) we are going to, in the kingdom of God, keep right on doing what the faithful people of God have always done from day to day beyond these walls, which is bring reconciliation between God and man. We will maintain in the kingdom of God The same focus that the church has always had. A steady and a faithful trajectory of helping people of all colors, from all ethnicities, from every tribe and tongue and nation to find and follow Jesus. If you want to bring about actual harmony between ethnicities who had a history of animosity between one another, then walk the Jericho road of helping people find and follow Jesus. You want to see people come together for the good of their community in a way that actually brings real peace and safety for those who live there? Take down human-centered structures by putting yourself on the Jericho road of helping people find and follow Jesus. Let me just be perfectly clear. In case I haven't offended everybody quite yet, I don't have two cents of hope for law, education, government, military, medical field or any other human structure or construct to fix what it cannot fix. We need to repent of living our lives as if the resources we've been given for God by God are for us and human constructs that cannot bring reconciliation between God and man. Here's why it doesn't work. Let me just flat out say it. <laughs> Jeremiah 17:9. Scripture is replete with this kind of thing. The heart is deceitful above all things, it says. The heart is deceitful above all things. It says it's desperately sick. Who can understand it? If that's true, 
It means that all structures and systems that human hearts devise to fix a world that's broken by sin will inevitably just create band-aids when what it really needs is heart transplants. And only the Spirit of God makes hearts new. So repent of pouring your life into things that will not bring real and lasting justice. I don't care how much money or education or legislation, politically correct tolerance, you throw at a problem like racism. True and lasting justice will always fundamentally be rooted in the justice between man and God. And just in case there's someone I haven't yet offended, because I don't want to miss anybody, it ultimately only matters what you do with your life's resources, if it brings glory to the Savior who saves us and the Creator who made us. You don't find joy some other way. You don't find meaningful purpose for your life unless your resources are about bringing glory to God by having people come and say, I love you, Lord, for what you've done for me on the cross. Until that reconciliation happens, forget this. You're just, you're just going to be playing So here at this church, in this place, among this people, we're not not just going to sit around wringing our hands, debating isms. We're going to stay focused on what we know is our call as those who have experienced personal reconciliation with God to reproduce that in the life of another. To use my love for God in a way that transfers into love of people for real, that comes alongside people on the Jericho Road and says, there is hope and healing available for you in Jesus. So so I just want to say, please, come and join those of us who are on the Jericho Road of helping people find and follow Jesus. Because until your life's resources are about that, you don't understand why you exist. Father, forgive us for making idols of our own plans and our own structures. We pray, Lord, that you'd give us personally and corporately a vision for your goodness and your glory being made known. Because ultimately, this is all about you. You created us, made us, and we want to submit ourselves to your will for our lives, trusting that peace and real safety and joy and harmony Come in knowing that you, in Jesus, paid the price for our sin. Lord, give us such passionate love for you, such focused devotion for the gospel, for the amazing truth that in Jesus you gave us a relationship with you forever we could never earn and that we didn't deserve. 
Give us such a love for that amazing truth and that we would go to those around us and extend with open hands a reconciliation that gives lasting joy and peace and safety in a relationship with you. Give us the courage to walk the Jericho Road. Give us the vision to walk over fences. Give us the encouragement uh, to go and have conversations uh, we've been avoiding, to make a phone call that we need, to introduce ourselves to people around us, to find practical ways, Lord, to walk the Jericho Road this week so that we as a people would model what you've done for us. In the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.